0: Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I believe we've all lived long enough to know that this is not true. This adage might better say, sticks and stones may break my bones, and words will often hurt me. The text of Scripture we'll be studying this morning is James 3, verses 1 through 12, as Pastor Herb read for us, and we find it's about our words. And we find that words actually often do hurt. They sadly do cause pain and harm uh, to others. And and that's just one aspect that we're going to find is discussed in James 3 about our words. So if you're not there already, I'd ask for you to turn to James chapter 3, and uh, it'll be important for you to be open and following along as we work through this passage verse by verse, phrase by phrase. And the theme of our passage this morning, the theme of James chapter 3, real simple, is we are wor- warned about our words. We're warned about our words. We're given several different warnings throughout James 3 as, our, as we work our way through it. We're going to see several different warnings concerning our speech uh, in the passage that's before us this morning. And just to give us just a real overview of this passage uh, To get across these warnings, James piles up illustration after illustration. You may have caught some of them as as Pastor Herb read this passage for us, And, and he's piling up these illustrations to wake us up, to wake us up. He's giving these warnings to wake us up, to get us to pay attention to what we say. This morning, we should be warned concerning our words and further to consider what our speech should be like as those who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. So as we move into this passage, our passage begins, I think, in a very interesting place, kind of unexpected uh, for this subject of words, and it begins referring to teachers of the Bible. So the first warning we'll consider from James 3 is a warning concerning becoming a teacher of the word of God. So look with me at James 3, and I'll read for us one verses 1 through 2. says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his his whole body. So why does James warn about becoming a Bible teacher, and what does it have to do uh, with our words? What is the the subject of this passage? So let's follow uh, James's train of thought. The specific warning here is in the beginning of verse 1. He says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. I think what James says is, is a bit surprising when you think about it. Isn't teaching the word of God a good thing? Can't everyone read and study the Bible and eventually become a Bible teacher? James is saying, no. He's saying no here. Not many of you should become teachers is saying just a few of you should become teachers. It shouldn't be everyone within the the church that is teaching the word of God. What he's saying here is those who think they are gifted by God to teach the word of God should think long and hard about this gift. They should realize the weight and the gravity of this responsibility. The next, the next statement shows the reality to come for the teacher. James speaks of what a teacher will receive due to this role. Look with me at James 3, verse 1 again. It says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Teachers are high, held to a higher standard by other people. Okay, you expect someone who's up here teaching or teaches within the congregation to be actually obeying the word of God. They're up in front. People are paying attention to their lives a little bit more. They're held to a higher standard by people. But I believe here this this passage when it says, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. This is talking about God's judgment, how God looks at Bible teachers. God holds teachers of the word to a higher standard. He judges them more stringently. And then we get the reason. So, so James states something they already know. They know that they're going to be uh, judged to a higher standard. And then he gives the reason in verse 2. If you look with me there, it says, for. So we see this isn't just, verse 1 isn't just kind of floating out there in the, the letter of James, but it's connected to this passage on words. As it says, For the reason we all stumble in many ways. We all struggle with sin is what James is saying. He's saying we we sin, we struggle in various ways in our actions, our words, our thoughts. Even as Christians, we struggle and we continue to sin. And then the rest of verse 2, if you look there, it says, For we all stumble in many ways. And then James says, And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his his whole body. So, James speaks here of something that is unattainable in this lifetime not sinning with one's words. I think we all know that that is not possible uh, for us on this earth. And he says, The one who doesn't sin with their words is perfect because then they will be able to bridle or they will be able to control the rest of the sins that they would be tempted to commit, showing how difficult it is then to control one's mouth. You can control the rest of your body or the rest of the sins that you be t- tempted to commit if you can control your words. It shows how difficult it is to control one's mouth. James argues that if the tongue can, can, can be controlled, then certainly other things can be controlled, showing how hard it is to control one's words and keep from sinning with them. So why does James say that many should not become teachers? And, and how does this connect with our words? It's twofold. First, James makes it clear that that few people should become Bible teachers due to the struggle we have as human beings, even as Christians uh, with sin. That God holds a Bible teacher to a higher standard when it comes to sin, when it comes to how we live our lives. And sin is a continued struggle in the life of every believer. Second, it seems as if James is making a connection between the fact that teachers have to speak to fulfill their responsibility. So it seems like there's a connection between here that Bible teachers, how they communicate or how they uh, do their role is they need to communicate with their words in that tool of the teacher, their mouth. That is primarily used to communicate. It has a great potential for sin. So application off of this first warning is we learn here that those who teach the word are not just to be well-studied, they're not just to be able to stand up in front of people and be able to communicate well, but they are also to be living a life that is godly. Teaching and godly living go hand in hand. It's not just what you can say behind the pulpit that matters, but first and foremost, what James is saying is how you live. And especially for our passage this morning, how you speak is what matters. So those currently teaching in the the context of our church should be constantly evaluating your life, your actions, your words, and you should be asking yourself, am I sinning? How can you grow in your godly character? And as you study a passage and, and prepare it to teach others, you want to share lessons and applications for others, you first should say to yourself, how can I apply this to my life? Those that think they're gifted to teach or desire to teach or are considering teaching You need to first consider, or you first should not consider, do I have enough courage to get up there? Neither should you first consider, would I be a good communicator? But first and foremost, you should ask yourself, if you're thinking about teaching the word of God, am I living a godly life? As a second point of application here, teaching the word of God is not to be taken lightly. This is a task that is to be met with seriousness. A fear of God, realizing that God will judge you more strictly. And then as a last point of application for this first warning, as a teacher, constantly be evaluating your speech, realizing you talk a lot as a teacher. It's teaching a message, or or oftentimes Bible teachers, pastors, you're asked advice, people want your counsel on a certain situation. As you interact with people in conversation, ask yourself, am I sinning in my words? Is my speech dishonoring God in any way? So this first warning is directed towards teachers, but as as we see in verse 2, all people are addressed. It says, for we all stumble in many ways so James kind of makes the transition he's not just talking about teachers in the rest of the passage but he's talking about teachers and the whole church okay so he moves on from teachers they're certainly included but now as we move into the rest of these warnings it's for all of us it's for every single Christian it's for every single person within the church so we come to the next warning and it's a warning concerning the disproportionate nature of our words, the disproportionate nature of our words. Look with me at verses three through five, James three verses three through five. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also; they, all, they are so large and are driven by strong winds. They are guided. They are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member. Yet a boast of great things, how great a force is set a place by such a small fire. So I want us to think about the illustrations given in verses three through five, three and four to start, and we're given two illustrations of ob- objects that are disproportionate between their size and then the power that they, they have. They are small in relation to the objects they control and have power over. The first is a bit. Controlling a horse. Look again with me at verse 3. James 3.3 3 says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. A bit is a, a mechanism that is placed into a horse's mouth that, that allows the rider to, to produce pressure on, on their mouth uh, so that ultimately they can control that horse. It gives, gives the, the rider control of the horse that they're on. And a bit is exceptionally smaller than a horse. And yet we see here, and this is James's point, it's small, but it can control a whole horse. The second illustration is a rudder controlling a ship. If you look with me at verse 4. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So James then points out another illustration. That's on a ship, a rudder on a ship. And he stresses how big a ship is. And in addition, additionally, he's addressing that a ship is, can be controlled by other things, by winds at sea. And yet it's a small mechanism that ultimately has control, a rudder. It ultimately is the thing that has power and control over a ship. It's the rudder, which is found under the ship in the water that allows the pilot to direct which way that ship is going uh, to travel by sea. And then James makes his point. Look with me at verse 5. He makes his point at the beginning of verse 5. He says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. James's point here is to stress how small these things are, just like the tongue. When it comes to our bodies, the the tongue is a a very small part of our bodies. And by tongue, he's ultimately getting at our words, what we say from our mouth, from our tongue. And though it's so small, it has great power and impact, just like the bit in the rudder do. James says specifically, yet it boasts of great things. And by boasts, your mind might immediately go to the sin of boasting, being arrogant or proud, often that comes out in our words. But By saying, yet it boasts of great things, what James is trying to, to say, the point he's trying to make, is that the tongue, if it could express itself, if it had a mind of its own, it could speak of its great ability to impact things both good and bad, that our words have, pot- have the potential for tremendous harm or tremendous good. That is the point that James is trying to make here. Our words can destroy a reputation or they could bring peace between enemies. James' warning here is that such a small body part can bring about life-altering results. Our words, which may not be many, they might not seem significant. We might kind of take them lightly or just say them passingly. They are significant. And for now, the point is, that they are significant or they can make a significant impact both on the good and the bad. Proverbs 18 verse 21 puts it this way, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So we're going to see a shift in a moment uh, when we come to our passage, or as we come to our passage, uh, that James starts to resort to the bad that can come from the tongue. But right now he's kept it neutral just to show that our words can either do great good or they can do great damage. And I believe what James is trying to get across here by this warning is don't be deceived when it comes to the tongue. We shouldn't be deceived when we think about our words and their potential. It may be a small part, but it may be the part that can bring the greatest consequences and results. James does not want us to take our words lightly. That's what he's trying to get us us to understand right at the beginning of this passage. We cannot just think to ourselves, it's just a few words. We just said one thing. It was just one sentence. Those words don't mean much. But our words can have great power and punch even if we don't realize it. Don't be naive when it comes to your words. Have your eyes wide open as you prepare to say something. As something's about to come out of your mouth, have your eyes wide open to the consequences, to the results it could have. That is James' James's point as he shows the disproportionate nature of our words. Don't be deceived when it comes to them. They have power. So we'll move on to the third warning. This comes from verses 5 through 6, and we get a warning concerning the destructive and sinful nature of our words. So as I said, we get a shift here, and now he's going to really focus on the bad. He's going to focus on the bad consequences that come, and it starts at the end of verse 5 and goes to verse 6. So let me read James 3, 5, and 6 for us. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And then this is where it starts. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So we're told a lot of things. As you see, there's a lot of phrases in here, and I want to take them one by one to consider the results and the wickedness that, is, that are found in our words from these two verses. First thing I want us to consider is our words can cause great damage. The end of verse 5 speaks of the disproportionate nature of the tongue once again, but it also ushers in this destructive nature. Look at the second half of verse 5 with me. It says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The picture James gives is of just one small ember. One small ember that's left in an abandoned campfire and that small ember causes a whole forest to eventually erupt into flames. Showing as we saw back in verses three and four that small things have great power. Small things can have a large impact. Realize the weight of your words. As I said, the end of verse five also ushers in this destructive nature to show that our words can wreak havoc on our lives in the lives of others by comparing them to a fire. So to read verse 5 again, it says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And then look at verse 6 at the very start. And the tongue is a fire. This is not a good or a positive comparison, but this is a a bad thing to be compared to, that our words are like a fire. Just this past summer, I think many of us experienced this. Just this past summer, We had several times that the sky was hazy, that it was a different color, the the air quality was probably as harmful as we can remember it being, we could even smell smoke from the forest fires in Canada that were hundreds of miles away. Fire destroys what's in its path, it consumes houses, it turns objects to ash. But also it grows, and it grows. As we just saw, it begins small, and it grows into a massive machine of destruction. And James says here, that is what your tongue does. And the tongue is a fire. James is bringing out the negative aspect of our words now. What he has said previously in the passage, it was neutral. It could go either way, good or bad. Our words certainly can be used for the good. But his focus here in this passage is how our words can be used for the bad. The impact of our sinful words. And we must realize that just as a fire, as we think about this comparison, just like a fire burns up and destroys objects in in its path, so too our words can destroy reputations. They can destroy relationships and friendships. They can destroy someone's confidence. We must realize that just as a fire can harm and kill, so too our words can harm and hurt others. Our words can sting and offend. I I think probably all of us, as we kind of started out, considering all of us have been offended by someone's words. They've they've stung, they've hurt, and our words can do the same thing. We must realize that just as a fire can have far-reaching effects burns down whole houses, it burns down apartment buildings, smoke and ash travel for miles, so too our words can have far-reaching effects as our lies about someone else might be spread and ultimately destroy someone else's reputation. Or maybe you talk about something that that really should be kept confidential, and then it's passed from person to person to person so that many people find out that, that thing that should have never been shared. We must realize that our words can have terrible consequences. They destroy, they devastate, they damage, and they create chaos just like a fire. That's what James is trying to get across here. So we see the great damage that can come from our words. Second, what we're told about our words in verses 5 through 6 is our words are capable of great sin. And this comes from just one phrase. Look with me at James 3, 6. He says, in the tongue is a fire, and then it comes from this phrase, a world of unrighteousness. The phrase a world of unrighteousness means that our words are filled with sins. Our words are often wicked and evil. There are many good things that we can say, but there are also many bad things that you can say. If we, do, if we don't think before we speak or reflect on what we've just said, we may not even realize the sin that is in our mouths. So we may just speak, and you don't even realize you're sinning. It's just coming out, and only after you reflect on it or, or you're called on it do you realize you've just sinned. Our words, as you think about the sin within them, our words can lie and deceive they can be filled with lust and they can flatter. They can boast and discourage. They can insult and mock. They can complain and gossip. They can be inappropriate. They can be crude. They can be angry and irritated. A lot of sin can come through our lips. And as we go about life, I think something that we need to, how we need to respond to this passage as we go about life, we need to pause and we need to consider if what we're about to say or, or what you want to say is going to be sinful. You need to ask yourself, are the things you're about to bring up to someone, you need to think about, are these sinful in any way? As you're about to respond to someone ask, else, ask yourself first, is this an ungodly response? As you're about to share information, ask yourself, is this going to be helpful? Does this need to be shared? Additionally, is this even the truth? And I want to apply this in another way in, um, another way, as we think about this whole passage that it can be applied that I think could easily pass our minds. And for those that don't use electronics in any way, you'll have to be, bear with us for a moment. But these things apply to what we type. What we type over text, what we type on social media, what we say as a comment in response to someone, maybe something you post on Instagram, something you share on Facebook, as I said, it includes texting as well. What James is saying about our tongue and our words applies not just to what we speak with our mouth, but also expressing ourselves in what we write and how we communicate nowadays with the technology The technology we have. Have you ever thought about this? The sin that can be within uh, your texting, the social media that you're on. If you haven't counted texting or social media as being your speech, and, and I think it most certainly is. This passage of James 3 applies to our typing. Our communications over text or our social media can be filled with sin. We We must ask with texting and social media, is what I'm about to post godly or ungodly? Is what I'm about to send over text sinful in any way? Could the post I'm about to share hurt anyone? Could this comment I'm about to make have devastating consequences? As we type these things out, we need to be willing to press the backspace button or the delete button on your keyboard several times before we send it. Either say something else or don't say something at all. We find we often sin with our words. The third thing we find concerning our words is our words reveal what is in our hearts. Look with me at James 3.6. James 3.6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And then this phrase, The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. This phrase isn't extremely clear at first, but it seems to connect back uh, to something that, that Jesus said. And I'll just read this passage. You don't have to turn there. Just listen as I read from Matthew 15, verses 18 through 20. Jesus says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So the connection here is, is James is saying that our tongue stains the whole body. It defiles the whole body. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. It's not, not things that, uh, laws that we keep or things that we do. But he says here, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this defiles a person. Jesus' point is that our words reveal what is in our hearts. Our words, what's coming out of our mouth that James is talking about, display what we're thinking. Our words reveal the sin that is in us. I think this is an interesting point for for James to to bring up here as a passage that is all about our words. That Yes, our words are a problem, but there's something else that needs to be addressed before our words can be fixed, and that is our hearts. If you want to get rid of a weed, you just can't cut it down. If you want to get rid of a tree, you can't just cut it down. Cut down the part that's visible, but you need to get rid of the root. And James is showing here that the root of our words is our hearts. Fourth, our words can impact the rest of our lives. Look with me at James 3, 6. It says, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. And then he says, setting on fire the entire course of life. There are very important words that we say publicly, or or some of us have said publicly, that alter the rest of our lives. In a marriage ceremony, the words, I do commit a man and a woman for for marriage, for life. James here speaks of words in general, showing that they too can have an impact on the rest of our lives. James comes back to the fire imagery, showing how the small fire led to the whole forest, catching on fire, so too our words can light a flame the rest of our lives. So the days to come, the weeks to come, our words can have an impact on. What you might have, been care- what you might have said was said care- carelessly. It may have been just a passing comment to, to fill an awkward silence. You may not even remember what you said, but those words might never be forgotten by those that heard. You may lose a job, you may lose a friend, lose someone else's trust due to the words you speak. Our words, James is saying, they don't just affect the present. It's not just the moment that we say them that there's consequences. He's saying there's severe consequences for the words that we say going into the the future. And then fifth, and lastly from this, this warning, our sinful words originate in hell. Look at James 3, 6. It says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. James has piled phrase after phrase after phrase to show us the sin, the result of our words, and now he tells us the origins. When a fire is extinguished, so a fire that lit up a house and burned it down, when a fire is actually extinguished, A fire investigation takes place to find the origins, to find what caused this fire, what what made this come about. No searching or investigation needs to be done here. James tells us the origin, the start, the cause of this fire, our sinful words, and he says that it's hell. Hell, the origin of our sinful words, these words that have the power to destroy, come from Satan himself. They're evil. They have spiritual ramifications. Lying, gossip, mocking, complaining have no origin with God. No matter how you characterize it, no matter how you excuse it and say it's for a good purpose to share something that's sinful, we find that its origin is hell. They shouldn't be said. We find here that a Christian should not be taking part in anything that has to do with hell. These words do not belong in a Christian's mouth. They are the furthest thing from godliness, So these two verses warn us of the devastation that can come from our words. And additionally, we find how sinful our words often are. So application, this section should cause us to think before we speak. To realize the danger that can come from our words. To realize how loaded with sin our words can be. Verses 5 through 6 should cause us to have a filter when it comes uh, to our words. To reflect and evaluate what we want to say and ask ourselves, is this sinful? What impact could these words have? Rather than just blurting out whatever comes to our minds. Another verse in James. James talks a couple of times about our words. This is definitely the fullest uh, dealing with our words. But in James 1.19... James 1.19, he says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let every person be quick to hear. Listen, hear, take in the situation. Slow to speak. If only we would take this advice more often. Be slow to speak. Often we're quick to speak. We're quick to give our opinion. We're quick to to comment on something. or We're quick to respond with our words. We immediately say something, and in so doing, I think we often sin. I've already shared one verse from this book of the Bible, but the book of James has been likened uh, to the Old Testament in the the Bible, or the Old Testament book of the Bible, the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs, you read through Proverbs, you know it has a lot to say about our words. And just to share a few that I think really have to do with this this warning we find here now Proverbs 10 verse 19 says when words are many transgression or sin is not lacking but whoever restrains his lips is prudent Proverbs 13:3 says whoever guards his mouth preserves his life he who opens wide his lips comes to ruin and then Proverbs 29:20 20 says do you see a man who is hasty in his words There is more hope for a fool than for him. So think before you speak, realizing the sin that lurks when it comes to our speech and the devastating consequences that can come from just a word, just a word. The next warning, a warning concerning the out-of-control nature of our words. Look with me at James chapter 3 and I'll read for us verses 7 through 8. James 3, 7, and 8. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed. And it has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. So our words, some previous points were compared to a fire. Now they're compared to an animal. James speaks of how animals can be tamed, but he says that no one can tame their tongue. Further, he speaks of our words being a restless evil. If we skip down to the, the last two phrases, he says, it is a restless evil. And restless just emphasizes this wildness, this uncontrolled uh, nature of our words. And again, he reiterates the evil. He says, a restless evil, reminding us of the sin in our words. And then he says, full of deadly poison. Continuing this animal illustration, reminding us that our words, too, can have terrible consequences. They're poison. I want to talk for a moment about how the tongue cannot be tamed. Okay, I talked about a filter uh, in the last point. As we thought about application, a filter. Put a filter on your mouth. Think before you speak. And and sadly, even when we have this filter on, we're trying to be intentional uh, with our words. We sometimes will say, and maybe you can remember yourself saying this, I probably shouldn't say this, but... Then you go out and and you say what you just said you shouldn't say. So oftentimes, even when we have a filter, we realize something's wrong, we've thought somewhat about what we're about to say, we come out with it anyways. Using our words is a necessary part of living to be able to communicate with others. So as we think about this tame aspect, being able to control your words, we need to talk, okay? Uh, We need to be able to communicate with people. It's a common thing we do And naturally, sinful words just slip in. So here James concludes that no human being can tame the tongue, meaning that we cannot ultimately control our tongue. We can try our best to filter what we say. We need to think before we speak, as I already said. We can try our hardest not to say anything at all, but eventually we will let loose and the spark will be ignited. I'd like us to look at an example. And I'd I'd like you to actually turn there as I want to read the whole psalm for us. And that's Psalm 39. If you just keep your finger here because we'll flip back to it. I just want us to look at an example in the scriptures. And I think a good one from David's life in Psalm 39. In Psalm 39, we find an example from David's life where he is talking about the fact that he cannot control his words. I want us to work our way through several different sections of this uh, to see how David comes to the conclusion he cannot control his word and words and kind of what, his, what the result is, what, he, what his conclusion is uh, to that. So look first with me at verses 1 through 3, and we find no matter how hard David tries to stay silent, ends up sinning with his words. He says, it says in verse 1, I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail. And my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Verses 1 through 3, David is saying he tried his hardest. He put his guard up. He guarded his tongue, and he, he sought to just stay quiet. Okay? He's not going to say anything. He's going to stay quiet and not uh, speak. And yet, he sins with his words, even though he exerted great effort against this sinning with his words. And then look with me at verses 4 through 7, and, and this causes David to reflect and realize he is sinful verses 4 through 7 says O Lord make me know my end and what is the measure of my days let me know how fleeting I am behold you have made my days a few handbreadths and my lifetime is as nothing before you surely all mankind stands as a mere breath saylah surely a man goes about as a shadow surely for nothing they are in tor- turmoil man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather David's point here is he acknowledges he's incapable incapable of doing this. He says, how fleeting I am. And then verses 7 through 13, we see David's conclusion. Who he looks to. He can't master his words. He can't take control of them. Who can? Verses 7 through 13, he shows this. It says in verse 7, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Say love. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. I'm a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Verse 9 says, I am mute, who is able to keep silent. I do not open my mouth. And then the credit he gives is, for it is you who have done it. David tried, it wasn't possible. It is God who allows him to be able to watch his words, be able to not speak. Uh, in this time where he was tempted to do so. So You can turn back to, to James chapter 3 now, and I just want us to see that example of, of David's progression of, of sinning with his mouth. He tried, he exerted effort, and yet he couldn't do it. It was ultimately God who could do it. So application, so as we're warned and confronted with the power, the destruction, the sin of our words, we should not be driven to try to master our tongue. We may be tempted to conclude this, but instead our text is clear. No human being can control the tongue and tame the tongue. Only God can. Only God can master it. Only God can help us watch our words. Only God can ultimately help us not to share a word of gossip or a rumor or an inappropriate joke. What what we've seen so far concerning the tongue and now with this new information that no human being can tame the tongue... It should drive us to pray what David prayed in Psalm 1914, our call to worship. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's a prayer. Let the words of my mouth, God, work in my words, cause them to be acceptable in your sight. May this be our daily prayer For us as we walk away uh, from this chapter. I think our call to worship is a great prayer for us to, to pray. Now we come to the last warning. A warning concerning the hypocritical nature of our words. And I'd like to read our last passage for us. If you look with me at James 3, 9 through 12, we find this hypocritical nature. Verse 9. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. As a spring, pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. In a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce fruit, figs. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So here James comes back to the fact that our words can be good, but they also can be bad. He's focused on the bad, the last couple of verses. And here, he brings up some of the good things that we we can say. But he shows that if they are mixed with sin, this is not good. So he gives two contrary ways of speaking. Again, verses 9 through 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Blessing, praising, worshiping God a Sunday service like we are doing right now, like we've already done, like we will do. Then on your drive home today, you curse another person. You speak negatively about someone here at church. You mock something they did. You say, I can't believe they did this. And you share a juicy piece of information with your spouse. That is what James is talking about. On the one hand, you're praising God, and then the next moment, you're cursing someone. He says in verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. One moment you're saying words that are good, godly, God honoring, and the next second you're doing the complete opposite. And you're bashing someone else. We all too often are hypocritical in our speech. We may talk someone up to their face and then behind their back we tear them down. We may encourage someone and then something and then some say something discouraging about someone in the same exact conversation our speech is often riddled with both good and bad speech uplifting and sinful we're hypocritical in the in the things we say we're not consistent how should we feel about this is it okay since some sometimes we're saying what is good we're praising god that's a good thing even though we're sinning with our words James tells us how we should think about this. He states his point plain and simple. Look with me at the end of verse 10. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. You aren't to do this. This isn't to be the case. These things do not go together. That's what James is saying. And the reality is I don't don't think we understand the inconsistency in the hypocritical nature of this, or we wouldn't do it. Oftentimes these things are disconnected, it's separate, there's a little bit of time in between these things. And that's why James is bringing it up before our face this morning, to say something good doesn't negate something bad. Praising God doesn't negate the word of gossip, or that lie, or that insult. And he strengthens this with some illustrations. And I'll read again verses 11 through 12. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So James provides illustrations from nature to show that these things do not produce two contrary things. And neither uh, can they produce fruit that, that ultimately comes from another tree. And the point is that as Christians, the fruit of our lips should only be blessing. The only words that should pour forth from our mouths are to be good and godly. Consider how hypocritical you are in your speech. All too often. I don't have time to expand on it, but I I believe teachers. We started with teachers, we come back to teachers. I think this should especially challenge teachers. Me, as I'm up here preaching... They were declaring the pure, the good truths of the word of God, but then talking about bad on someone who maybe just sat under our message. May we as teachers be struck with how wrong this is. So we've been warned. We consider our passage, we have been warned. James is given warning after warn, warning. He's trying to get us to realize the danger of our words. They're extremely powerful. They can have terrible consequences. They're filled with evil. We as humans cannot master them. And and two types of words often spew from our mouths, good and bad. Hopefully this has grabbed your attention concerning your words. Will it make you consider how you usually talk? Hopefully it will make you carefully consider how you communicate something to someone. And most importantly, may this passage drive us to pray to God asking for his help. As it comes to our words. As we saw, we cannot master them. It's only God who can. And I'd like, to us, like us to end with another verse from the book of James. If you're still there, look with me at James chapter 1, verse 26. As I said, James talks about our words in several other places. And what he says in James 1, 26 should startle us. I think our passage today should startle us. But this passage, this verse... That we'll end on, should startle us. James one twenty six says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You may think you're living for the Lord. You may feel as if you are devoted to the Lord. But if you do not hold your tongue in check, James says your worship of God is worthless. What he means by this person's religion is worthless. Your worship, your praise to God is worthless. It's useless. Your praise and service to God does not delight God. You're deceiving yourself. You think you're doing well when you're not, when you really are not. We find from the Book of James that our words cannot be ignored when it comes to our faith our worship, and our religion. And the question I would leave you with this morning is will you take these words of warning concerning our words to heart this morning? Let us pray. Lord, we've been met with a text that is a text that hopefully will drive us to consider our words, to consider our sin uh, in our words, the, the destruction that our words can cause. And, and Lord, this, this text could easily cause us to be guilt-ridden, to uh, realize how, how much our words have messed up things. But Lord, as we already sang and praised you this morning of your grace, I pray that we would realize that you show your grace to us, that you forgive us of the words that we say. But Lord, I pray that this, this passage would be a passage that would drive us to certainly repent of our words. Lord, I pray that you would work within us, that you would cause us, uh, really pay attention to our words, to certainly do all that we can to to watch our words, but most importantly, drive us to pray to you, uh, to help us watch our words, that we would rely on you, asking you to to help us and give us the strength to, to pay attention to our words and ultimately help us to speak words that are encouraging words that are uplifting, words that are good, words that speak your truth. Lord, we can only do this by you. We pray that you would master our words for us this morning. Lord, we thank you for this text, and I pray that we would apply it to our lives. In your name I pray.